Psalm 139. Listen just to a few verses. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. In fact, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too wondrous. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. We've been in this series, Matters of the Mind, for several weeks and speaking about this marvelous gift, this mind, this brain, and the thoughts that occupy it. And I want to suggest to you that the number one reason wherein our mind ought to be filled with thoughts of Almighty God is that Almighty God is filled with thoughts of us. We must be mindful of him for he, in fact, always has been and forevermore shall be mindful of us. I hope this series has been helpful to you. We have one more installment tonight, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll start a new series called, Are You Sure? It'll be based on First John, and it'll be verse by verse, and we'll be in it forever, uh, because it's rich, and there's so much in it that I think will be helpful to us. It's a day of uncertainty in which you and I live. But are there things nonetheless that we can be certain of? You bet. So that marvelous book written by John the Apostle is the Christian's book of certainties. You can be sure. You can be certain of those things that matter most. And that's what we'll examine, Lord willing, starting next week. So for now, let's finish up. Let me just wrap up this series by... uh, I'll tell you what, before we get into this, I'll tell you what. Can I ask you to stand one more time? Thank you so much for for doing this. Let's, uh, yeah, let's do some exercises. This will be fun. That's a good idea. Somebody said that. That's a good idea. Hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Um, so put your hands down at your sides, if you don't mind. And... Um, and roll, roll your shoulders. Don't hurt yourself. Just slowly go back. Oh, that's good. That's good. Hold it for a second. Oh, go forward now. Do the show. Don't hurt yourself. Don't, just nice and easy. Oh, that's really good. Hey, I, let's go to wrists. Here, here. take your wrists, both wrists, and do this. Yeah, yeah, do it slowly, slowly. Otherwise, it'll border on dancing, and we don't do... So it's just, just slow. And then go the other way. Just loosen the wrist. And then how about this? How about open your hands? Open and close them. Here, here, hold it. Hold it tightly just for a second. Open and close them. Then do this with your fingers. Look, look. Do this with your fingers. Loosen them up a little bit. Throw them away. Throw your fingers away. Throw them away. Throw them away. Look, look how much thinner they are already. This is really... Now move down. Now this is a hard one. Be careful. Take care of yourself. Uh, Lean on something. Put your hands on the seat back in front of you. Just raise up like this. Raise up on your, use your calf muscles. Oh, and down. Raise up, raise up. Hold it. Yeah, now go down one more time. Here we go. Up and down. Thank you so much. You can take your seats. Yeah, I'll tell you what we did. Uh, We just did, uh, 
We just did three exercises designed for a fit body. Three physical exercises designed for a fit physical body. And by now it is no surprise to you that God's word has contained, we just looked at a little bit of it, a number of exercises, God-ordained exercises designed for a fit mind. And the Lord wants us to be fit physically, but perhaps even more importantly, a fit in our minds, because this is the root of all things. So what I'd like for us to do tonight, just to give equal time to our mind as we did to our our bodies, let's uh, let let's identify three additional uh, exercises, if you will, given by God, and which are designed to create a fit mind. And they're all fi- found in the same passage. It's in the New Testament. It's in Philippians. Philippians, also a letter. Uh, written by someone to a group of people at a place called Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, just a few verses, very familiar to you. And I'd like to identify three God-ordained exercises contained therein and designed for a fit mind. So Philippians chapter 4, uh, let's take a look at verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord... Always, that's tough to get, so it's repeated. Again, I will say, rejoice. So there you have it, simple, uncomplicated. The first God-ordained exercise designed for a fit mind is this, rejoice. But it doesn't come naturally, nor does it come easily, any more than the kinds of exercises we did do. Uh, It's a little tough if we haven't exercised the body to feel comfortable doing those things. By the same token, so too, uh, some of the exercises God has ordained for our minds are tough to do. Rejoicing is a very tough thing to do. God knows this, and that's why he helped us. And you know how he helped us? When he uh, gave us this particular activity, rejoicing, he did not give it as a suggestion. He gave it as a commandment. Now, I can't tell you how helpful that is, because if you're like me, and you are, just when you get to be on the verge of rejoicing in the Lord, something pops into your mind, a memory, a doubt, some thought that distracts you from it and even robs you of it. You say to yourself, I know I'm invited to rejoice in the Lord, but I do not feel worthy of it. And and, and therefore, we don't give ourselves to it. So God said, you know what God essentially says? Just do it. God says, I'm not going to leave it up to you to feel like rejoicing in me or not. And your life experience is notwithstanding. And other messages you have received, perhaps, in the course of your days from significant others of a painful kind that have robbed you of joy, all of that notwithstanding, Just do it. And so God said, this is not an invitation. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is an imperative. I command you, rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, this has the same force of command as thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are not suggestions or recommendations. Those are imperatives. And God issues this 
with the same forcefulness. He is saying, you may not feel like it. It may not suit you. It isn't an easy exercise for you to engage in. No, it does not come naturally. It may not square with your life experience. Forget it. Just do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And it's couched in certain grammar in the original language so that it gives it an actually different sense than maybe you see here on the surface. It actually is more accurately translated, be regularly and continuously engaged in the mental discipline of rejoicing. Work at it is what God is saying, just as you might be prone to work at the development of physical fitness through the disciplined um, uh, attention you may give to physical exercises. Just as that is an easy and even causes you some measure of discomfort and even causes you to sweat. Sweat at this. Don't give up. Engage the commandment. Do it. Be continuously and regularly engaged. Don't give up. Be engaged in the mental exercise, the discipline, the sheer and utter hard work of rejoicing. But how can you do it? How can you really rejoice in painful circumstances, the likes of which so many here are living with even right now? How can you rejoice in painful circumstances? Well, the answer is you can't. And God knows that. That's why he does not command us to rejoice in circumstances. Do you notice the wording? He commands us to rejoice in the Lord in spite of the circumstances. That's a big difference, folks. You see, our sphere of rejoicing is not to be in what's happening to us in our life experience. Our sphere of rejoicing is supposed to be in our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Uh, because circumstances change, but the Lord Jesus is unchangeable. You can lose your hold on certain circumstances, but Christ will never lose his hold on you, nor your hold on him. We will never lose our Christ, and therefore there's no logical reason for us ever to lose our joy. Can you see, therefore, how understanding and good God is? He doesn't command us to rejoice in circumstances always. He permits us to be pained by them often, but he does command us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus, even in spite of painful circumstances. Now, make no mistake about this. Joy is not the same as happiness. You've heard it said, happiness depends on what happens, but joy is different. I tried to grapple with it. Maybe this will be helpful to you. I think joy is a deep down uh, kind of a confidence, a deep down confidence that God is in control of everything for your good and his glory. That's what joy is. Let me uh, per, uh, uh, repeat it to you. I think joy is a deep-down confidence. It isn't happiness. No, it's not a giddiness. It's better. It's a deep-down confidence that in spite of what's going on, that may not cause you or I to be happy, it's a deep-down confidence that God is in control 
of everything that his purposes are beneficent. He controls everything for the good of his kids and for his own glory. That's joy. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing is greater than him. He orchestrates everything for our good and his glory. Now, folks, in heaven, we will be in the very literal presence of the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very true. And the Bible says, in the Lord's presence is fullness of joy. So, in order to represent heaven on earth, could I suggest that we do better at rejoicing in the Lord always? We could give earth dwellers a taste of heaven by showing them what it's like to rejoice in the Lord always in spite of what's going on. It's tough to do that. I would like the luxury of bitterness, irritability, depression, anxiety, moodiness, just like everybody else. But I don't think I'm permitted that luxury. In fact, I'm commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. But there's something that frequently robs our joy. I can tell you what, well, I can show you what it is. Would you look around? It's those other people. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, the people in our life experience oftentimes rob us of joy. But that happened in the context of this very letter. It was in Philippi I mentioned its locale was a church, just as ours is a church, a local church. In the church were two members, two ladies. They were at odds with one another. And in the context of their very contentious Attitude towards one another. Uh, this command uh, is offered. This approach to their interpersonal conflict was offered. Rejoice in the Lord always. How does it fit? How is that going to help? Uh, I wrestled with it. I think this is it. People who rejoice in the Lord are simply less likely to give offense and to take offense. Don't you find this to be true? When you're rejoicing with the Lord, the things people around you do, maybe insensitive, unkind things, maybe offensive things are not quite that offensive. Why? Why is that? But you're just so caught up in your in Christness that you can handle uh, the folks around you with a more gracious spirit. In fact, uh, that's what it says rejoicing in the Lord will do. Look, verse five, it'll enable you. Uh, to have a forbearing spirit. It says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. You see, joy and a forbearing spirit seem to go together. How is that? Well, those occupied with the Lord, you say, those who are rejoicing in the Lord as a disciplined approach to life, as a mental exercise, which you train yourself to do, those occupied with rejoicing in the Lord are simply more likely to give way graciously. They are more likely not to insist on their rights. That's just the way it is. Why? Well, they don't have to. They just take too much joy in their relationship with the Lord. And one reason for joy is that, as the writer says, the Lord is near. (laughs) What does that mean? It means everything you think it means. It means he's near in the sense that he's present in the situation So something's going on between you and another that's quite distressing. 
You can give your mind a break. You can rejoice in the Lord. He's near to it. He sees it. But he's near in another way too. These things in life, these people problems that get our goat will not be forever. The Lord is near with regard to his return. And when he returns, the things that matter a little too much to us here will suddenly not matter much at all. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And in so doing, you'll be able to let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. And remember, the Lord is near. So that's the first mental exercise. God-ordained mental exercise designed for a fit mind. Rejoice in the Lord. Here's the second, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. (laughs) Be anxious for nothing. Why? Anxiety is a thief of joy. Do you know in essence this verse is saying, don't let your thoughts steal your joy. And do you know this too is given as a command, not a suggestion? Do this, God says. But God, I'm not used to it. Do this. Oh, but God, I don't know what to do this. Oh, but it runs in my family. Do this, do this, do this. Be anxious for nothing. But we need an alternative to anxiety and worry, don't we? Well, here it is. Instead of all that, in everything. We have these absolute terms. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. General term, supplication, strong requests, thanksgiving, remember how God has helped before. Let your requests be made known to God. That's the alternative to worry and anxiety. So here's what happened when you and I got saved, if in fact we have been saved. Uh, We were forgiven um, our our sin. (laughs) The debt we owe a holy God whose holiness we offended and violated, sin, it was forgiven. But, but there's more to it. He didn't only say, case dismissed, you have my pardon, forgiven. He also said, now come home with me. Wow. It wasn't just a legal pronouncement. It was the establishment of a bond as if between father and child. Now, I'll tell you what worry and anxiety does. It turns the tables on God. <laughs> And it makes us, the child, into the father who feels responsible for running the household. And that's what anxiety is. It's essentially a statement which says to God, I think I could do better at running your world. I have to stay on duty and worry about it. Worry gives me a sense of control because I think I can handle things better than you through my worry. So worry, it's terrible for us. It moves us from the role of a needy, provided for, protected child into the person in charge. Do you want to be in charge? I don't. You know what prayer does? Prayer restores us to the right relationship in the household of God. Prayer puts the father back on the throne and it dethrones us and it makes us the supplicant And him the recipient of our prayers and our supplications and our thanksgiving. It makes him the supplier of our need and ours simply the declarer of them with gratitude. You see? So this is the second commandment. 
Don't be anxious about a thing, but pray about everything. What does that mean? Well, let your requests be made known to God. It means, it means get in touch with your thoughts. Think about what you're thinking. Don't let them just control you. Identify them and then share your thoughts with God as if he doesn't know about them to begin with. But he does, doesn't he? He knows all about them, but there's something in the sharing of them to Almighty God. It expresses our confidence in him and it gets us out of our head. And upward to him where he can handle it. So letting your requests be made known to God means tell God about things just as if he doesn't know about it. And, and what does he promise when we do it? Verse 7. The peace of God. That's what he promises. Shalom. Yeah. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds. It's a matter of the mind. It will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. See, here's the deal. Through Christ, you have peace with God. And now through prayer, you can have the peace of God. Do you notice the difference? There is peace with God that comes from being born anew. But then there is the peace of God. And many of us who have peace with God don't actually have the full experience of the peace of God. What does that mean? It's his gift. It's what he experiences. We could have that. There's the peace with God. You can't have anything without that first as the starting point. But don't let it be the finishing point. Having established peace with God by his grace through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, there's more to it. He wants to save me from more things. He wants to save you and I from anxiety and all the rest. He wants us to have the peace of God. And the promise here is, when we let our thoughts, our concerns be known to him, always with an attitude of thanksgiving, this is exactly the gift he will give to us. You know, someone has translated this phrase, the peace of God, as this. It's God so gifting us that we are enabled to sit down in our minds. Many of you here who have been so Good to share your thoughts with me in the course of our trek through this series. Have spoken about um, thoughts, racing thoughts, which cannot stop. You know this kind of deal. Wouldn't it be great to be able to sit down in your mind to take a break? I'm afraid I'm going to have to take God at His word. Y- you must as well. If I occupy myself with the discipline, the training. Uh, the mental exercise of refusing to give in to anxiety, but in place of it, letting all this be made known to God, he promises he'll enable me to sit down in my mind. That's what it says. And if I do that, he promises also that his peace will guard hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This was a metaphor very familiar to the original recipients because Philippi at this time was a Roman province. And so there were Roman sentries and guards all over the city. And so the Christians in Philippi would have seen what the guards did. They kept certain people out and certain people in. And so just as the Roman guards watched over, guarded the city, when we talk to God about what's troubling us in our thought life, his peace will watch over us, will guard, will protect our minds from invasive thoughts that rob us of peace. 
So that's what it says. That's what it says. So the first exercise, God-ordained exercise for a fit mind is rejoice in the Lord always. And the second is, in place of giving into anxiety, pray with thanksgiving, letting your thoughts be made known to God and thus experience his peace. And now this final uh, God-ordained exercise for a fit mind, verse 8. Finally, brethren. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, think on these things. You're going to think about everything, but dwell on these things. So this is the third God-ordained exercise for a fit mind, and it has to do, as you can see, quite blatantly with the quality of our thought life, because the quality of our thought life will determine the quality of our life. That's the way it is. So I want to demonstrate something to you, if you don't mind, give you a little break. Would you take a few seconds and think of your uh, favorite comfort food right now? You need a little break, I can see. So just take a little while. Think. You don't have to re- relate this to anybody, but just to see if you can get in touch. It should be easy. What is your favorite comfort food? Potato chips, blue bell, chocolate. I know for nine out of ten ladies in here, for sure. So just feast your mind on that just for a second. Your specific um, favorite comfort food. Okay. Do you have that in your mind? Now that it's in your mind, please follow my direction. Stop thinking about it right now. I command you, stop thinking about it. Stop it right now. Get it out of your mind. So how are you doing? I'll tell you how you're doing. You're doing a lousy job at it. In fact, you can't think of anything but that. You just learned something about how your God-designed mind works. You cannot, even by a deliberate act of the will, stop thinking about something. But here's what you can do. You can redirect your thoughts onto something else. And that's exactly what the force of verse 8 of Philippians 4 is. It acknowledges we're going to be thinking about all kinds of things, including comfort food. You can't stop doing it, but you can distract your mind from it by dwelling on other things. And these are the kinds of things we are commanded. Again, it's not an invitation. It's another command. We are commanded to let our mind dwell on. Think about things that are, for instance, true Think about things that are true about God. Think about things that are true about you. Oh, God is out to get me. He loves these others who have called upon his name by faith. But though I've done that, he doesn't love me. Stop it. That is not true. It's not true about God. It's not true about you. I know you may think about that from time to time and you can't stop doing it. Well, throw a distraction, a 
uh, we call it the principle of replacement. Replace it with something that's true. What's true about God? How about this? I'll never leave you or forsake you. How about this? I've cast all your sin behind my back. How about this? As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed uh, your sin from you. How about this? Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. How about this? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. How about this? See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. That's truth. Now, i got to tell you something. i got all kinds of invasive thoughts just like you, and I can't stop thinking about it. But I can substitute those goofy Erroneous thoughts with what is true. It's a commandment. And it's not easy. But that it's not easy doesn't render it impossible. How could it be that a good God would command us to do something we're not capable of? He said, dwell on these things. Do it. Just like these calf things. Listen, if we did enough of those, we wouldn't be able to walk tomorrow. These babies, which we didn't even know we possessed, would be hurting like crazy. But if we did it every Wednesday night, don't worry, we're not going to. It's over. But if we did it every Wednesday night, after a while, we'd be doing, hey, wow, this is really something. I could even carry on a conversation. That's how it goes with exercise unto godliness, you see. So that it's difficult should not give you or I permission to stop doing it. Join the fight. Exercise. Things that are true. Things that are honorable. What does that mean? Well, it means things that are worthy of honor. Things that are right. What does that mean? We're supposed to be dwelling on thinking about what is right. What is the right thing to do? How should I do this right thing? When should I do this right thing? Things that are pure. What does that mean? Anything. Did you know there's anything outside of God's design for life is impure? Particularly in relationships. Anything outside of God's design for life, particularly in relationships, is impure. God says, I want your mind to dwell on what's pure. Things that are lovely. What does that mean? It means attractive things, but in a particular way. It means attractive things that promote peaceful relationships between others and not conflict. Those are lovely things. Things that are of good repute. That means things that are well thought of by God and by others. And just in case Paul overlooked, he wrote this, just in case Paul overlooked something in the list, he adds this sort of a general statement. If there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You know what all this is saying? Fill your mind with the best and not with the worst. You know what it's saying? Fill your mind with that which is beautiful, not that which is ugly. That's what it's saying. So as we draw to a close, why does God issue this command with regard to our thoughts? Why so much emphasis on our thought life? Well, let me bring us back full circle to whence we began some months ago. Our opening verse was Proverbs Chapter 4, verse 23, and at that time, we uh, exercised our mind uh, in the direction of memorizing it. This is what it said. It said, watch over your heart. Remember I told you the Hebrew word for heart is 
equivalent to mind. Watch over your mind with all diligence. Whatever you guard, guard your thought life more than anything else. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow, one flow, the springs, many springs of life. Everything else, your emotions, your behaviors, your moods, everything, everything stems, originates, is authored by one source, and that's your thought life. So God says, watch over it. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So... Three, God-ordained metal exercises so that we could have a fit mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. Have no anxiety, but instead pray. And thirdly, dwell on the right things, things like those listed in verse 8. So, uh, as we draw this series to a close, let's memorize once again or review once again the verse we opened with. And we'll do it in the fashion in which we did. I'll say a phrase. Uh, you'll repeat it after me. We'll link all these phrases together and we'll have a good verse memorized. It's true, you know. It's honorable. It's pure. It's lovely. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to fill your mind with. Here it is. It's Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart. Say that, please. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Say with all diligence. With all diligence. Let's say both. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it, for from it. It, we say it all together, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So let's say that, flow the springs of life. Okay, together, it's Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow the springs. Lord Jesus, we believe it. We'll do it. We can be shaped up. We can get in better shape. Thank you for the mind. Thank you for the exercises ordained by you so as to create a healthier environment for our thought life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the commandment which has removed this from the realm of that which is optional. No, no, no. If we are to be obedient to you, then we are to do these exercises. Well, how long will it take, Lord Jesus? Well, I'm sure it'll take until the time of your return. That's a little discouraging, Lord Jesus, because we would like to do it and be done with it, but that's simply not going to be the case. It is a process until we become finished products. That it is a process ought in no wise give us permission to cease to engage in it. Worthwhile things are worthwhile doing with all diligence. It is worth something to engage in mental exercises for a fit mind since all other things flow from it. Thank you for the exercises you've given us in your word to rejoice in you always to be anxiety free when it comes to fight it and to replace it with a prayer life based on serious conversation with you with thanksgiving and then finally to identify what we're thinking to cease to be lazy thinkers and to distract our wrongful thinking by substituting thinking that is good and healthy and desirable and lovely and pure and pleasing to you thank you oh god for knowing us so fully would you know our thought life even more oh god helping us to eradicate all therein that hurts us 
and instead lead, lead us in the way everlasting. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.